come on a journey with a cinephile. to episode number 30 of Journey with a Cinephile, a horror movie podcast. As always, your tour guide, David Garrett Jr., recording out of Columbus, Ohio. And this episode, I'm going to do something a little bit different, even though I've kind of already done list episodes before, but this one is going to be, I got a challenge from somebody from high school that I know, and they had went through and ranked their favorite slasher films from the big three so i decided to go ahead and take the challenge that he extended to me where i'm going to do that same thing i'll get into a little bit more of that as that segment starts but before that i also have many reviews of before i hang dr jekyll and mr hyde from 1931 the wretched and the dark half now i am sticking with the journey through the odds thing that i have been doing i'm just not doing it as a featured review as i've seen before i hang before as well as so it's going to be you know a 1940s film still paired with a 2020 and but i wanted to go ahead and do this little thing differently here and do a little bit something special since this is episode number 30 but that's all i was going to just kind of tell you about let me kick you over to a musical break before i get into those mini reviews enjoy
and welcome back for my first mini review of this week it is going to be before i hang from 1940 this is directed by nick grande this is written by robert hardy andrews who came up with the story as well as wrote the screenplay and carl brown helped with come up with the story this stars bar boris karloff evelyn keys and bruce bennett this is a crime horror sci-fi film from the united states this is currently sitting on a 6.1 on IMDb and a 3.0 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being, A physician on death row for a mercy killing is allowed to experiment on a serum using a criminal's blood, but secretly tests it on himself. He then gets a pardon, but then finds out he's become a Jekyll and Hyde. Now, I had never heard of this film until I was working my way through a horror movie encyclopedia. I came in blind aside from reading a small blurb that was in that book, and I was intrigued when I learned that this was starring Boris Karloff. I had seen a few of Universal films prior to this that starred him, but aside from that, I was still pretty new to her, his work at the time of watching this for the first time. And then I gave this a second viewing here for this Journey Through the Aughts, because it's been a few years since I've seen this. And with what I'm going to do after the these mini-reviews, I still wanted to make sure that I was continuing on with that and give one that I'd already seen prior to that uh, another rewatch, which I'm doing here. Now, what I really was struck by in this movie is that it really is a different time, but it does have some elements that are still relevant today. The big things I was interested in is that it has strong social commentary about euthanasia as we have a Dr. Kevorkian-like character as the main doctor here who is Boris Karloff, but his character name is John Garth a Dr. Garth, and what he did is he was trying to help one of his friends who was dying by creating the serum that would reverse the aging process. Now, I think this is a kind of interesting situation here is that his thought process is that aging is due to the cells having waste that is what is making us get older. He's trying to find a way to reverse that where the cells don't have that type of waste being made so people could live longer and not have you know the aging process going for them. Now, what ends up happening, though, is he keeps testing the serum on his friend when he thought he had perfected it, and it ends up killing his friend. So they're considering it be a mercy killing, and he understands. He ends up taking his punishment and going to prison, but it is there that the warden and another doctor by the name of Dr. Ralph Howard, who is Edward Van Sloan, they decide to allow him to continue his research along with this doctor inside prison, and that is where... The Jekyll and Hyde portion of this comes into the fact that the blood gets tainted because they use a murderer who was executed and the Dr. Howard steals some of the blood and uses it in their research. But the problem is that it ends up corrupting the serum. Now, this is something you would see in some of the universal classics when they're changing a brain out. Or you'd also get this a lot in the Hammer Frankenstein type films. So I can't really fault the era for not just having the knowledge or the research to know that this isn't what would necessarily happen when you use the blood because we can do transfusions and if somebody was demented, they're not going to change that person's persona. But for the time, I'm allowing that to slide and not going to come down too hard on it. Now, I will say I do think there's some really strong acting here, especially from Karloff, just because I love that he is a smart and gentle man. We get that baseline built, but then we can tell that there's something wrong from his body language as when he starts to get flustered and is getting ready to kill somebody, we will see his hands start to kind of wring whatever is in them. And we get to see this a lot with a handkerchief, which is what he normally uses to strangle people. And this is something that we get to see pretty early on as there's a criminal who goes around as a janitor and 
we get to hear that Dr. Howard isn't really trusting of him and tells him he can't come into this room and then a guard yells at him. And I just think this is a kind of cool way to get this person to be framed for something that Dr. Garth actually does so that he can still get pardoned and get a higher body count. And he gets frustrated when his friends won't allow him to experiment on them. As he's trying to show that after he gives himself the serum that's been corrected, his hair is no longer white and his metabolism is kicked back in where he almost seems like he's 20 years younger. But my problem though, this isn't a great film. I did enjoy it. I don't think it's bad. I just personally think it's slightly over average though. And I came in with a 5.5 on Before I Hang. And then speaking of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, I have watched another version of that for this week. And this is the version from 1931 that was directed by Robin Mamelin. This is co-written, the screenplay by Samuel Hoffenstein and Percy Heath. And it is also based off the novel by Robert Louis Stevenson. This stars Frederick Marsh, Miriam Hopkins, and Rose Hobart. This is a horror sci-fi film from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 7.6 on IMDb and a 3.7 on Letterboxd. With this synopsis being, Dr. Jekyll faces horrible consequences when he lets his dark side run wild with a potion that transforms him into the animalistic Mr. Hyde. Now this was another version of the classic tale that I had acquired some time ago and I actually never had gotten around to seeing it until now. I thought coming in that this was the universal take on the story, but I was actually shocked to see this as a Paramount film. And aside from knowing the story and seeing a few adaptations, I came into blind to see what you know this version was going to give me as opposed to some of the other ones. And just to kind of fill it in, our title character of Dr. Jekyll is and Mr. Hyde are both portrayed by Frederick March. And something that also struck me about this version is that it came out pre-code, or I think the code might have been in effect, but they actually weren't adhering to it necessarily. And this one goes to some darker places for an earlier movie, if I'm going to be honest, and especially what Mr. Hyde does to a, I don't necessarily think she's a prostitute, but she is kind of a loose woman in the form of Ivy Pearson, who is Hopkins. Now, when Mr. Hyde finally is out and about, he actually moves in with her. And we get to actually hear things that he's like beating her. We don't get to see it play out, but we can see the terror on her face. So I might as well just go ahead and talk about the acting here, which I think March does really well at giving us two different versions of the same character. I like that Mar it's Dr. Jekyll, he's a nice guy. He works in a charity hospital. He's going to be married to uh, Muriel Carew, who is the daughter of Brigade Gen Brigadier General Danvers Carew, who he is played by Hollowell Hobbs and his daughter is Rose Hobart. But then going back to that is Dr. Jekyll does miss a lot of the things that she invites him to but because he always is so wrapped up in his work that is kind of the reason so it's not like he's off doing bad things at this time but i also like that he does really care about her but also wants to do these good things but then when she goes away with her father for a month that's when he really decides to go into what the crux of this whole story is and i like that here he decides to indulge in this darker side, and when he's doing so, we get to hear some of the things that are messing with his mind and what is really weighing on him. So then when he becomes Mr. Hyde, he actually is an animalistic type version of it, where he looks like an ape. And I thought they did some really good makeup there, and March actually moves around like an ape. And I thought that was kind of an interesting thing there to see. 
And then going off some of the other acting, I thought Hobart does a really good job of coming off of a woman who is in the Victorian era where she doesn't really have necessarily a whole lot of rights and really wants to marry Dr. Jekyll immediately, but her father is not letting her. And then we get an interesting situation that plays out with her later in the movie when Mr. Hyde becomes too strong and can change Jekyll into this other form whenever he wants. And I thought that was a really good job. But the other really good acting job I thought was Hopkins. She plays terror so well in this that I felt horrible and just seeing the look on her face when she thinks she's done with Hyde and then he shows up at her door was just heartbreaking for me. But then this one is another one where they're exploring the duality of the soul and that the dark part is animal-like so that's why it's reflected as Hyde being ape which I thought was kind of a cool thing as well just for the fact that I almost feel like this is correlating back to what Freud called the id and that it's your base most primal instinct so having it be played out like an ape here I thought was kind of cool and that once you've tasted that forbidden fruit it becomes too strong and you can't stop it now we also get a few different transitions here as well the first one's not great as we get to kind of hear different things that is weighing on Jekyll as he becomes Hyde but then we get to see him going in both directions and I thought they did really well here with time lapsing things or cutting away to show different forms of the makeup and using very subtle cuts there. But regardless, I just thought that works pretty well. This is one of the better versions of this story that I have seen. So I actually came in this time on this version of it as an 8 out of 10 for Dr. and Jekyll, Mr. Hyde from 1931. And then I have for you to keep up with that journey through the aughts thing that I'm doing is the 2020 release of The Wretched that was actually made in 2019. This is co-written and directed by Brett Pierce and Drew T. Pierce. This stars John Paul Howard, Piper Curta, and Jameson Jones. This is a horror film from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 5.8 on IMDb and a 2.8 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being a defiant teenage boy struggling with his parents' imminent divorce, faces off with a thousand-year-old witch who is living beneath the skin of and posing as the woman next door. Now, I continued on with that synopsis, even though it is a little bit spoiler heavy, because this film doesn't really hide much. Now, this was the one that I saw a bunch of people on podcasts and in horror groups talking about. So I asked Jamie if she would like to watch this with me. Since she agreed, I would make this my 2020 movie for the week, as well as on here, as I said. Other than that, I came in pretty blind, as I don't really like to know a whole lot. But this one starts out 35 years ago, where we have a babysitter of Megan that is showing up to a house that when it's raining out she knocks on the door but no one answers and then when she goes to a side door is we get to see that there is something supernatural going on so that's where i'm getting at the fact that this movie doesn't really shy away from that there is something like this but that we more have an unreliable narrator which i do think this main character of ben who is howard here is which I think he's a little bit cliched and not overly original. And I think there's a lot of things in this movie that kind of fall into that as well. But I don't want you to think that I hated it because there are some interesting aspects to this movie I, that I thought. Now, the first thing is that the entity seems like a combination of a changeling in that it takes over the look and mannerisms of somebody, but there's always just something off. And it also kind of seems like a Wendigo because it is using a head of a deer as kind of like a mask and it's also its symbol that it carves into things so i kind of thought that was kind of a cool thing that we got to play with here but it's own it's doing its own thing as well 
Now we also get this interesting concept that it eats those that are forgotten. Now this is where I feel like there are some slight inconsistencies with the movie because Ben seems to remember all of these people's siblings or children when other people claim that they don't. But then we get to see there's a really cool reveal that I don't think is a cheat and we get hints at it throughout the whole movie but i didn't pick it up and it definitely shocked me but i just have issues is that why did he forget this but then nobody else seems to remember these other things and that just becomes problematic for me that just because he's our main character he shouldn't be able to remember some of the things that he is and that's really kind of my problem that i had there but I will say, the look of the creature is great. I thought the CGI was solid. Aside, there's one little thing. It has nothing to even do with the creature. But just the look of it and how they frame it in the shadows, I thought was kind of a really cool thing. And definitely made me feel uneasy quite a few times. We kind of get some of the changeling things where there is a tree that is being used here. That's another aspect of it that really kind of popped up. Now, I seem to think that there's a lot of people that are either really enjoying this or really hating this movie. I personally thought on the whole that it worked for me. As I will say though, it is kind of paint by numbers, but I do find it still to be interesting. It kept my attention. I do think that the latter part of the movie really does kind of fall off just a little bit in my eyes, but not enough for me to ruin this. And I actually think for me, this is going to be at the moment, one of my contenders for the year end. I am hoping that there are some that I thought were going to be, you know, coming into the year as a contender, but with this COVID-19 stuff and not really sure when things are actually going to hit the theaters, this could end up being a dark horse one that I did end up enjoying. So I personally found this to be a good movie and I thought The Wretched was an 8 out of 10 in my opinion. And for the final film that I watched for this week is going to be The Dark Half from 1993. This is directed by George A. Romero. It was also, the screenplay was written by him, and it comes from the novel by Stephen King. It stars Timothy Hutton, Amy Madigan, and Michael Rooker. This is a horror mystery thriller from the United States. This is currently sitting on a 6.0 on IMDb and a 2.9 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being a writer's fictional alter ego wants to take over his life at any price. Now, this is a movie that I had read the book long before seeing this movie. Now what is interesting here is that I completely forgot that this is another Stephen King adaptation that was helmed by Romero. Now he's probably my favorite director and if memory serves now that you know it's kind of clicked. I do believe this is one of the few movies that he did that soured him with working in Hollywood. And I'm pretty sure I've only saw this one once in college and haven't given it a rewatch since. I'm actually starting to think I might have caught this every now and then on the movie channels. But I know I've only seen this once all the way through. Now this actually starts in 1968 where our main character, Thad Beaumont, who wants to be a writer. And he's using these Black Beauty pencils. And he has to stop those. He gets these terrible headaches. Now his mother is Shayla, who is Beth Grant, takes him to the doctor, and it is there that they, when they open it up finally, that they realize that he had a twin that he absorbed, and they find an eyeball that is blinking as well as parts of a nose and some teeth. Now, they end up removing this, and he doesn't really have any issues, but it is important to point out that the hospital is attacked by sparrows, and then he grows up to be Timothy Hutton, where he's been a writer who has been using the name of George Stark, where he's writing some pretty graphic novels, and... As he gets blackmailed, they decide to try and instead of paying the guy to go ahead and just reveal to the public the truth, but they end up doing this faux funeral type thing, which ends up maybe bringing his alter ego into real life. Now, 
I find this to be an interesting thing that I've been watching a lot of Jekyll and Hyde type stories as this kind of feels like that in a way but this is really more delving into the parallels of king's life and his addictions he did write under the name richard bachman when he was younger and i do believe a lot of this though was due to publishing rules back then but i find it interesting is that this in the movie drops the fact that thad is an alcoholic but he has given up boozing except when he's pretending to write as george stark and he also picks up smoking again, which is interesting is that King himself was an alcoholic as well as into drugs and then overcame both of these addictions. So I do think that parallels there are pretty interesting. And he also kind of wrote up a fake eulogy about Richard Bachman when he gave up writing that way. So it's kind of cool that they did things like that. I think that Hutton does a pretty solid job here at playing both roles. He's kind of clumsy and is just a good all around guy when he is, you know, himself. But then when he starts to pretend to be Stark, he is, you know, confident and is pretty ruthless in some of the decisions he makes. So I thought it was cool to do that. But he also has a strong supporting cast in this movie as we have Amy Madigan as his wife. Michael Rooker is given his version of Alan Pangborn here. I thought he did a good job with that. We have Julie Harris, who's a co-worker of Thad in his college, and I love her character. She helps with research, and she's just quirky and just fun overall. Robert Joy plays Fred Clausen, who's the guy who does the blackmailing. I thought it was cool to see him. Beth Grant plays the mother of Thad when he's a young boy. Miriam Cowley is the ex-wife of his agent, and that is... Rutanya Alda, which is kind of interesting to see her in this. But it's also interesting is that, you know, Romero doing this, we get to see some of his regulars as his then wife at the time, Christine Forrest, was an associate producer, but she also has a small role as a nanny in this movie. We also get to see David Early, who I know him as the talk show host on my favorite film of Dawn of the Dead, as he's an officer here. John Amplis, who has played in numerous George Romero films is the body double for Thad Beaumont as well as George Stark. And then on top of that, I believe it's actually Romero's son of George Cameron Romero plays an uncredited customer in the movie as well. But one thing I did notice is that this doesn't really feel like it has the heart of a Romero movie. It almost is, seems like a director for hire without really his flair as some of the effects in this movie are done with CGI, which doesn't really feel normal that's only really with birds though i do think there are some great scenes of stark as he's kind of falling apart as well as the ending sequence where the birds attack i thought looked absolutely amazing there but this movie like i said just because it doesn't necessarily have that heart and i don't really feel like it is a romero movie that really just kind of you know clings to me and makes me revisit this it's not a bad movie though i will say that i'm actually glad that i did give this a rewatch as i did enjoy it again watching it and I actually think it's pretty solid adaptation, not one of the best of King's work, so it really just kind of feels like it's above average to me, and that's kind of where I'm coming in at here with, I was debating whether this is going to be a 7.5 or an 8, I think as I've been reflecting on everything and my issues with it, I'm going to come in with a 7.5 on this movie here, and that's the last one that I got to watch for this week, so what I'm going to go ahead and do is get you over to a musical break before I get into what I have featured on this episode for you.
and welcome back. Now, as I've kind of been alluding to, I'm going to do something a little bit different here as through Instagram, one of my friends from high school, Kenny Sledge, who is just started his own YouTube channel over at Sledgehammer Horror, which I do recommend you go checking out. But he had asked me to kind of do this as he's already been doing this on his Instagram channel where he the three major slasher franchises, which the ones that he included are Halloween, Friday the 13th, and A Nightmare on Elm Street. He took all the films, and there are 31 of them at the moment, so that means I'm not going to include Halloween Kills here since it hasn't been officially released as of yet. And he ranked them from 1 to 31 and has been recapping those over there. Now, like I said, he asked me to kind of do my own list. Now, over on his, he is ranking very low the ones that don't actually feature the killer so things like halloween 3 or hollow or friday the 13th part 5 are not being included for obvious reasons but i decided that i was going to do the same thing that he's doing but i'm going to do it slightly different as i'm just going to take them as a series and go ahead and just rank them from 31 to 1 and i'm going to recap this all here on this episode so that's the reason i'm not doing any really featured reviews and i'm not going to go in depth in all of these because i'm going to be honest a lot of them i have not seen for years but i have watched every single one of these at some point in my life and many of them i've watched multiple times so if i have reviewed it i will give you what my numeric rating is then but this is still going to be just looking through them what I remember and what my ratings for all of the films are going to be. So to start us off with, I'm going to go from 31 to 1. So the worst film of these three franchises for me is 2002's Halloween Resurrection. Now, I remember the first time that I saw this and I thought it was all right. But the more and more that I've watched it, the more and more I just realized that it's not very good. It does do some good things, though. I... Do like that the best part of the film though is probably right there in the beginning where we get the Laurie Strode character who's back in a hospital as she gets killed. And I should probably point out here that these are gonna be have I should have a spoiler warning. But like I said, the Jamie Lee Curtis stuff here happens right there in the beginning. But what I do like about this one is that they're doing a reality TV show type thing, and the it is being broadcasted as we have a bunch of people that are going to be staying in the old Myers house. But my problem is that's really the only good portions of the movie. I do think there are some decent deaths, but it's definitely the weakest of the Halloween franchise. And I would say it's probably the weakest, even, you know, kind of recapping it here, as this is one I've probably seen twice. And I mean, of course, there's the Kung Fu Buster Rhyme stuff that isn't very good in itself. But the lowest I have of all of these is, like I said, Halloween Resurrection. And I gave this a 4 out of 10 the last time that I saw it. And, I mean, I'm scared to watch it because I might even take it lower. But, like I said, there are just a few good things, but that is about it. And then coming in at number 30, I have the A Nightmare on Elm Street remake from 2010. And this is another one. I remember seeing this one in theaters, actually. And when I left the theater, I didn't think it was all of that bad. Now, the second time I watched it, I did come down lower. And it does look like the last time that I did watch this, I rated it as a 6. I don't believe that I was writing reviews at the time. So I don't think there's anything like that out there. But this will be one that I will eventually end up re-watching so I can do a proper movie review at some point. I just haven't wanted to subject myself to it as of yet. But I do think there are, again, some good portions of this. I don't mind Jackie Early Haley as 
the Freddy Krueger character. I do think, though, that the CGI that they do on him doesn't look good. I think that they probably should have just went with whatever practical makeup they had, as he does look more like a burn victim. I do know there are issues that people have is that he is kind of short, but I think he has some really good acting abilities, and I do think that he plays it dark. And I know a lot of people also have issues for the fact that they made Freddy Krueger a child molester in this one, and it's hard to come back from that, which I definitely agree with. It's something, though, that I don't mind taking the character to a darker place. It's just you really can't go anywhere from that point on. So that's why this one kind of seems like it got stagnant, so they really couldn't continue on to have any more sequels. And it also didn't do very well, so that also kind of explains it. I also think Rooney Mara is fine as taking on the Nancy-type character here, as I think she's a really good actress. And she does play this one very subdued, but I mean, people that are dealing with sleep deprivation, I think that's something that'll happen. I even don't mind the micro-naps, because it makes it even more terrifying how Freddy could attack you. The problem, though, is when you're going to remake something and you're going to recreate scenes and you're not going to do it better, it just hurts you as a film. So this one doesn't really work in general either as it's just inferior in all ways, shapes, and form, in my opinion, especially because my favorite of the killers, I'll be honest, is Freddy Krueger, even though they go too heavy into the comedy. So I know I'm playing my hand a little bit early, but he's just terrifying that he can get you in your dreams because you have to go to sleep. And I also like how they kind of built up more of the thing that if in order for him to exist, you have to fear him. So that's another thing that kind of works there. But this one doesn't do nearly as well as the original one does, in my opinion. And... I would actually say, just looking at what I did rate this previously, my rating has come down to a 4.5, as I do think this is an below-average film, in my opinion. And then coming in at number 29 is Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. Oddly enough, this is one that I used to watch a whole lot growing up, because it always seemed to be on, and anytime horror movies were on TV, I usually would watch them just because it was a rarity growing up, so that's one of those things but this one from what i remember is just painfully boring there's a lot of weird things they're trying to do with it of course the joke is ongoing that it's you know jason on a boat because for the most part that's where it is taking place and some of the deaths aren't bad it's just a lot of stuff just feels very weird this does have kane hotter who is the jason that i remember most because i was two when this one came out so that's also partially probably why i would watch this one quite a bit this one just lacks a lot of things. I think some of the stuff they do in New York is pretty good. It's just very quick while we're there. And then we also have the weird ending sequence that happens where I just wasn't a fan. It doesn't really do enough. And I just don't really know if they fleshed it out to give us exactly what we were expecting from this. So it's kind of fitting that of all three of the major franchises, the worst ones are the bottom three for me. And this one just, like I said, painfully boring, not very good. I haven't seen it in a long time. So I probably would be hovering again around the 4.55 range, but since I haven't watched it and haven't given you know a proper breakdown or anything like that, I really can't come in on anything, but that's you know where it would be hovering in my opinion. And then coming in at number 28 is Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Another one, I actually remember when this one actually came out in 1991 as my father rented this for us. And I know my sister and I would watch this a lot. And as a kid, I would have told you that I thought it was really good and it was really entertaining, which I do think that this one does have some fun things. It has one of the more iconic deaths for me that have stuck with me for all of these years with the deaf kid and what happens with his hearing aid that scared, that scared me half to death. 
This one tries to fill in more backstory, which doesn't necessarily work for me. And I know that's a lot of times is an issue is that the more we learn about a character, the less that they terrify me. And this is full-blown joking Freddy, so he's not nearly as scary. The stuff with the dream demons, I think it's good in theory. It just doesn't necessarily work out for me where I'm like on board with it completely. Again, this has been another one that I haven't watched in a long time. And to be honest, I've probably been avoiding it because I have some nostalgia still for it. But I know that this one is not very good. Hence, it is so low on this list here. And again, if I was going to rate it, this one's probably going to be another one that is below average. I had it ranked ahead of Jason Takes Manhattan just because of the fact that this one was more fun and I do have more fond memories of it. So that does give it a slight boost there. But again, this one's probably going to be below average for me in coming in probably another around a 4.5. I still think having Robert England also gives it a boost with, you know, the practical makeup, hence why it's above A Nightmare on Elm Street, the remake. Not really one that I'm excited to go back to. So that's why it's going to be here as... It's still not very good of a movie, even though I kind of realize I keep repeating this phrase over and over again. And, you know, these are rated this low, so that's probably why they are. And then coming in at number 27 is Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. This is another one. I remember when it came out. Kind of. I know my mother rented this from the video store, and me, her, and my sister all watched it together. I thought the movie was actually older than what it was at the time, as I really didn't know a whole lot about releases that were coming out. But 95 would have put me around 8 years old, and I know we were living out in the country by then. And I remember as a, as a group, we watched it in our sun porch that was closed in, as we did have a TV out there, and I spent a lot of my time on that. Now, I have watched this one for a review back before I was podcasting, though. So I do have a written review, and I do actually have a numeric rating here. This one I just felt was badly average. It was weird that Paul Rudd was in this. I didn't know who he was at the time, and he really wasn't popular. I really hated that they recast the character of Jamie Lloyd with somebody else because I was a big fan of the Halloween films with Daniel Harris when I was growing up. This one, though, it tries to introduce the stuff about the Thorn cult from what I remember. And that stuff just doesn't work because, again, it goes back to the fact that if you're going to try to give more backstory for things... It makes things a whole lot less scary. There's a lot of problematic things that happen in this movie. And I'm actually even, as I'm going through this, I do believe this is the one where we have some people that get mixed up into this. I'm not really even necessarily sure who they are. And that's not good if I've seen this movie, you know, a handful of times and I still don't really necessarily remember what is going on with this one. So that's where I'm coming in with that as I have this as a 5 out of 10. It's just not very good and just another one that's forgettable in my opinion. Now, another one I used to watch a whole lot as a kid is A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Dream Child from 1989. Now, again, I would have been two when this one came out, but this one always seemed to be on the movie channels, and I would watch it quite a bit, and I remember being a fan of it, actually, because we don't have a bad cast here, in my opinion, at least. At least part of it's not bad. It does become a little bit problematic at times. Now, this one, we do have Lisa Wilcox back as Alice, and, I mean, this is when Freddy Krueger, again, is full-blown comedian, where Alice becomes pregnant, and we also have Kelly Jo Minter as Yvonne, who horror movie staple i remember being grossed out by the greta death with at the dinner table and i do believe this is also the one where we have the comic book character at the time i thought that was all kind of cool it worked for me then it's i'm not a big fan of it now this is another one that i haven't seen officially to do any sort of review on i was 
I guess it when I was on the movie channels, I remember always putting it on again because I like to watch horror movies and you kind of jump on any chance that you get. I know that I usually don't get this far when I did buy the box VHS set that had Freddy on the spine of it as this one just really it continues on with a lot of what they were doing. So the continuity is there. And I don't even mind the concept that Alice being pregnant, that his dreams are what is pulling them in. It doesn't necessarily work completely, but I still think that it does have some good aspects. And I do like that they're trying to do something new while sticking still with the dream world. It's just not nearly as fun. And remember the last time I watched it thinking that this isn't very good. So if I was going to rate this, this is probably going to be another one that's just average at probably around a 5, maybe a 5.5 here. I'd have to rewatch it again to officially kind of give you something there. But I still just another one I'm dreading to watch because I don't remember it being that good. And that was even at a time when I was a lot more forgiving as well. And then for number 25... So to breaking into, you know, that top 25 list finally is one that I remember seeing in the theaters as well of Freddy vs. Jason from 2003. Now, if you would ask me when this film ended and I left the theater, I would have told you that I loved it. I thought it was a good concept. Ever since watching the at the end of Jason Goes to Hell, I was so excited thinking that this movie was going to come out soon after that, that we were going to have Freddy vs. Jason. It was going to be fun. It was going to be great. And I don't even mind the story that they're trying to come up with here in order to bring these two together the problem though becomes is that there's just so much problematic things i like that he's that freddie is trying to get people to remember him so he can start haunting dreams again i like they brought back the hypnosil stuff i even love that you have some actress and actors that i really am a big fan of like i said we still have robert england here playing freddie krueger at the time i was a big fan of monica keena before she did some plastic surgery stuff sorry to say that it is kind of rude on my part I like Jason Ritter as an actor, and I even like Catherine Isabel in this film as well, and Brandon Fletcher is another guy who does some pretty good things, especially in the genre. The problem with this, though, is that it just gets way too cheesy. I think part of the problem is I was watching the documentary about this, that the director of Ronnie Yu just kind of didn't really want to do anything that made these films feel like... To any of the predecessors and i think that becomes an issue there is fans really kind of want to see these guys you know duke it out and everything but they want to also have that feel of those movies and we just really don't get that but i mean as i said it is better than some of these and i can actually go back and watch this as i still do kind of find it to be fun it's just i recognize that it's not very good and kind of painfully average so much like i said with the dream child i come in probably at the highest a six but i'm hovering right in that range for what I'm giving on this one at this time. Not good by any stretch still, but it is still pretty fun if I'm gonna be honest. And then coming at number 24 is Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. This is another one. I remember watching it all the time as this always seemed to be on AMC's Fright Fest. So I'm actually way more familiar with this one from back in the day than I am some of the uh, older and more prestigious ones just because it was way more accessible. And again, this one came out when I was about two years old. I don't mind Daniel Pleasance in this movie. He is starting to get over the top because if my memory serves, this is the one where Jamie has the psychic connection with Michael Myers as it turns out that we learn that he that she is the niece. I also liked Rachel, um, who is Ellie Corning, Cornell, I mean, as the character here. As this one does some good things from what I remember, but I just remember this now being very painfully boring. 
and I'm trying to remember if this is actually the one where they're no longer having Halloween in the town and they're really trying to fight for that. I'm not sure if this is four or five that does that, but I remember just really enjoying this growing up. I thought it was fun. We had some really good kills. You know, Michael Myers is back and all that in this sequel to, you know, having him come back in the one prior to it as well. Getting to the... I had a huge crush on Jamie Lloyd because we're very, you know, I thought we were very similar in age. I realize she's slightly older than me. All that type of stuff going on. I kind of look at it now and realize that it's another one that's painfully average. This one, I, I was going to rate it. I haven't seen it for a while, so I haven't done an official review on it. So I'd probably around a, I don't know, a 4 point, I, I'm sorry, about a 5.5, maybe even a 6. But it's around that range in my opinion. Now, another one that I have a lot of nostalgia for is Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday, is number 23. This came out in 1993, and I do remember fondly of that because my father rented this for us, for my sister and I, and we watched it a whole lot. This one, you know, another one that has Kane Hodder in it. I actually now have watched this probably like three times and have worked on my review a couple different times. I know I've pained Duncan over on the podcast Under the Stairs as he is a huge fan of this movie. And the interesting thing is, I agree with him to an extent is, if I'm going to pop one in, this is one that I would go to quite a bit just because I have so much fun with it. And I don't even mind the shifting bodies type aspect that is in it. I just don't necessarily know if some of the things work because the problem is that we're playing with mythology that hasn't been played around with and we're establishing more backstory that doesn't necessarily work with him having a relative in the movie and I mean Creighton Duke is a character that I actually kind of wish they would do a spin-off like TV show or give us a movie about him and how he knows so much about Jason Voorhees and everything like that. There's just some really weird things in this one. This one I feel like tries to make Jason out to be a deadite because the Necronomicon's in it and then the dagger that is supposed to be able to kill him. I don't hate these things. It's just my problem is there's some continuity issues which really holds firm with me. I know the last time that I gave this a rating, I had this as below average at a 4.5. This probably, to be honest, if I'm going to add fun into it, it's probably going to be higher than that. As of right now, I have bumped that up to a 5. I probably will come even higher on it from there, where it'll probably end up being a 5.5, maybe even a 6. It's just, like I said, the issues are with the story and changing concepts are what my issues are. I do think this would be a much better film and probably celebrated by a lot of people if it wasn't a Friday the 13th movie and it was just some random killer who's able to do this stuff. But because of where it falls and being in a franchise, I just have some issues with it there. And I've kind of already been referring to this one just a little bit, but number 22 for me is Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers. I like this one because they brought back Michael Myers, of course, you know, got that from the title. I like Halloween 3, which is why you haven't heard it yet. But this is something that I... I don't necessarily like that they went back to this character. I don't like that Donald Pleasance is back because of what happens at the end of Halloween 2. He shouldn't be in this one. But I do like Rachel Carruthers, who is Ellie Cornell in this one as well. And I was a big fan of the Jamie Lloyd, Daniel Harris character. I thought that was all good there. I do like, though, that we're getting crazy Donald Pleasance as Dr. Sam Loomis. As he is, you know, full-blown of he is just going crazy and that, you know, Michael Myers has come back to Haddonfield and trying to kill his niece. 
I actually now I'm thinking about it. I'm wondering if this is the one where they're starting to try to bring back Halloween, which is bringing back Michael, which is kind of some of the issue there. That's all dumb. I have this where it is mostly because of nostalgia. I used to watch this all the time at AMC's Fright Fest as well. I realize that it's probably not nearly as good. I've heard some podcasts talk about it, and it's made me kind of reflect back on it. But because I haven't watched it for so long and haven't given it a review, it'll probably be very low, kind of around the, all the movies I've said in this area would be. I do know this is better than Halloween 5, though, for sure. But it's one of those things where until I actually get around to watching it again, I really can't say a whole lot about it just at this time. But this is one that I've seen way more than I have seen the original at the point. But I have been seeing it a lot more, especially around, you know, the holidays and everything like that. But that's all I really wanted to say about this film. Now, one that I should have been able to see in the theater, but I think I might have just missed out because I don't think I was really going to the theater on my own as of yet kind of makes sense because doing the math i would have been right around 14 15 when this came out but it's jason x that came out in 2001 i know i did rent this one and watched it and i remember the first time seeing it i enjoyed it but i also kind of thought it was kind of stupid with what they're doing by taking this out into space can't really fault the franchise though you gotta have to do something you know different when you can and the uber jason thing i just don't know if they necessarily did it early enough in the film to kind of fully enjoy it i did like the cameo by david cronenberg that we get here this is another one not great in my opinion but it is a lot of fun i do love the hologram thing with the people in the sleeping bags kill that's always been a fun one that's always gave me fond memories the face into the super cold dry ice i thought was another one that kind of was a cool death that they gave to us not one that I necessarily would go back to a lot, but if there's anybody that ever wanted to watch it and reached out to me, I would definitely give this one viewing because it is, like I said, it's fun. It's just not very good. Another one that I'd probably be rating around that 5.56 range, just haven't given it a proper review as of yet. So that's kind of why it is here. I know it's not very good compared to the stronger films in the franchise, though, for sure. Now, if memory serves number 20 being friday the 13th part 7 the new blood from 1988 i believe this is the first time that kane hodder actually took on the role used to watch this one all the time because it was always on the movie channels but back then i thought it was fun don't necessarily know if i understood everything they were doing and it was once i got into podcasts that i realized that people started dubbing this you know carrie versus jason because our main character here of tina who is portrayed by larp park lincoln has some psychic abilities that her doctor cruise of terry kaiser is trying to bring out and her mother is also there believing that this is good for her now i remember this one being fun when i was growing up i got so confused looking back on it about how her father appears in the end of this one as i know he passed away because he drowned in camp crystal lakes water but they would never recover the body so there's just some problematic things that John Carl Beekler tried to do here. You know, God rest his soul and everything like that. But this one, though, not a big fan of. But it is one of those ones I still have nostalgia for because it was always on TV. And being that this is starting the top 20, I would go back and watch this. Not over some of the other ones, but I do plan on giving this a full rewatch at some point. This one's, like I said, going to be slightly over average in my opinion. Not great by any stretch, but still one that is a lot more fun for me. And there is that nostalgia factor as well. And then coming in at number 19 might be a little bit controversial for some people, but I have Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 from 2009. Now this is one, I actually took my sister to see this in theaters. And when I left, 
I thought it was a step back from the or from his first one, but I still liked it. Rob Zombie, though, is an acquired taste for some people, and I do like that he pays homage to the other Halloween 2 with a dream sequence in the beginning of this one. But my problem here is that I just don't think he does very well at executing the white horse thing that he's trying to go for. He's also trying to bring back the psychic connection between Laurie Strode, who I think Scout Taylor Compton does an excellent job of acting in this movie of that. But to finish off my first thought about the psychic connection thing, I just don't feel like it works as well as he was going for. And I'm not the biggest fan of it. But I think that Scout Taylor Compton does very well here in showing us a character that is broken from the events that happened in the first movie that she was in and how she's trying to deal with it now. And then we also have a bunch of great cameos here. I love that Brad Dorff's back. I like that we get to see Carolyn Williams. I don't think Malcolm McDowell does very well as Dr. Loomis in this film as he makes him into be just a huge asshole and I'm not a big fan of that as I think it ruins the character. I think Tyler Maine plays a great Michael Myers, just because of his true imposing size, that it makes it a terrifying guy that he's, you know, evil. We get to see Richard Brake in this one, Octavia Spencer. I like that we got Daniel Harris back, uh, Richard Riley. I like that we got to see Margot Kidder. And then I didn't even realize it until looking at it that Bria Grant was in this movie. I know there's some other cameos that we got here. The film just doesn't work as well as he'd like what he's going for. But, and I also don't like the necessarily trailer trash route that they take Laurie Strode here. But I do like that she's broken and trying to figure out what she's doing in life. And that everything that has happened has really just messed her up. And she's trying to cope with drugs and alcohol. But again, this one, the last time that I did review this was at a 6. I still think that fits where I would put it now. Maybe even a 5.5. It has been a minute. And I'm not even necessarily sure which versions I've watched of this. So I do believe I've heard that the director's cut is a lot better, but that's where I'm at here. Then rolling in at number 18 for me is Halloween H2O, 20 years later. Now this one came out in 1998. I believe I watched this for the first time when my sister bought it on VHS, and I remember being a big fan of it. Now I did re-watch this one as part of Duncan's summer series for the 90s last year, and after re-watching it, it does do some good things, but it also has some issues for me as well. Now, Steve Miner is a director, which I thought was pretty cool to see that. I like that Jamie Lee Curtis is dealing with her issues of what she dealt with back in, you know, 78, as well as in the sequel, coping with drugs and being super protective of the son that she has now. I thought it was cool to see Adam Arkin. It has an interesting young cast of Michelle Williams, Jodie Lynn O'Keefe, and we have a, I believe the first role that Josh Hartnett ever was in. And we also have Joseph Gordon-Levitt, LL Cool J. I also like the cameo by Janet Lee here. And I even believe that there's a musical cue that is trying to sync up with Psycho. Could be wrong on that, but I do re think I kind of remember seeing that. I don't even mind the concept that we're rolling with here. I just believe that it ends up being kind of boring and not really as good i think the ending sequence what they do with laurie is empowering and would have been a good way to end the series there but instead they made that abomination of halloween resurrection and i don't like the mess that we have here it's just so weird with the suction cup eyes which i have to give a shout out to i believe exploding heads for bringing that up as the second time that i watched it after hearing them go on makes a whole lot more sense just has its issues and still not that bad so when i watched this the last time around i gave it a 6.5 which i feel is very fitting for that as a rating even now and then coming in at number 17 for me is a nightmare on elm street part 4 the dream master 
Now, this is one that another one that I actually now I think about it did not watch a whole lot of as this one didn't really seem to be on the movie channels for whatever reason. I don't think I saw this one until I had got that box set of the VHSs that I'm referring to and but I do think that this one does do some good things. I did get the luckily the chance to watch this on the big screen as a podcast around my area did host this. So I thought it was kind of cool that I got to see it on the big screen since I was not born when this originally came out. Being that this, or never mind, I was one years old, so I didn't get to see it in the theater for obvious reasons there. I thought this does some cool things, though, to transition over from the Dream Warriors aspect. We have Robert England. This is where he goes full-blown comedian Freddy. I thought Tuesday Night was pretty solid in this film. I wasn't a big fan of Rick as he's kind of an awkward character, if I'm going to be completely honest. But I like the ca- character of Alice being, you know, Lisa Wilcox here. And I did like they brought back the concept of the Dream Warriors, where we do have Kincaid as well as Joey back. They did him dirty, though, by killing them off super early in the movie. And I liked what they were going to do here, where you have the Dream Warriors, but there's a Dream Master who can bring people into their dreams. And through that is how she starts to pull in power as Freddy starts to kill people, making it where she can finally, you know, defeat him in the end. The problem becomes, though, that this is kind of... I don't like the way that they bring him back with the dog urinating on the bones so it desecrates it and everything. I thought that the Dream Warriors had a good way to end it, but regardless, this isn't a horrible movie. I do love the cockroach death in it. That one freaked me out the first time that I saw it. Uh, we get an appearance by Lene Quigley as a topless soul in Freddy's chest, which I thought that was pretty cool because I'm a big fan of Linnea. But this one does do some good things. Not horrible. Not one that I actually go back to a whole lot, if I'm going to be perfectly honest. But last time I watched this, I gave it a 6.5 out of 10, which I do think that is a pretty fitting rating in my opinion. And then the last one for me to round out this first little section here at number 16 is Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Lives. This one, actually, I have only seen maybe a handful of times, and it wasn't really until college when I bought the DVD of this that I actually watched it for the first time. This is the first time that Jason goes supernatural. This is the completion of the Tommy Jarvis trilogy as we have Tom Matthews playing Tommy Jarvis, and I'm a big fan of him just because I love uh, Return of the Living Dead. This one, though, is kind of problematic because Tommy Jarvis is the idiot that ends up reviving him and causing everything that happens here. Now, this is, though, as I said, is where we have Supernatural Jason, where he's now a zombie-type creature and is super strong and everything like that. I like it, though, is that he comes back, he lays waste to all these people. Surprisingly, he doesn't kill children, from what I remember, which is kind of an interesting little thing to play with there. Now... This one I actually find to be pretty fun as I first time I saw it I hated it. I thought it was stupid. They went too much comedy with this one, but I've definitely come around. I rewatched this in October for part of a movie challenge that I was doing to watch a part 6 in a movie franchise. And to be honest, as I said, I had a lot of fun. I would rewatch this one again. I would show this to people if people wanted to watch a fun horror film. That's how much I've come up, and I give this one a 7 out of 10. Now what I'm going to do is rest my voice here real quick, and I will take you to a musical break before I come back and start the final 15 of these top three franchises in my opinion. 
Welcome back once again, and coming in at number 15 for me is Rob Zombie's Halloween from 2007. Now this is one I did go see in theaters. I believe I came back from college during the summer, and a bunch of my friends and I had all went out to catch this together. And I will admit, I absolutely love this when I was, you know, leaving the theater. And to be honest, I still think it's pretty good. I know this is one of the ones that are more decisive in the horror community. I think for me what really works is the cast is pretty solid here in that I love that Malcolm McDowell's take on Dr. Samuel Loomis in this version. I thought he did a really solid job there. I thought Brad Dourif was really good as the sheriff. I think Tyler Maine, once we get to the adult version of Michael Myers, like I said earlier, has just imposing size and it works well for me. Now, what doesn't necessarily work, I don't like the white trash version of Michael Myers that we get as a kid. I think that is the stronger portion of the movie, though, is to see him growing up. And this one almost makes it more of nurture over nature as to why he becomes the killer that he does. He just has such a crappy home life where I do think that Dag Farich, who plays the young Michael Myers, was fine. And I mean, we do have a lot of different cameos in this one that do somewhat work for me it just like i said it has its issues i do think though that the actual halloween part that's a remake that we get is a little bit too fast regardless though i still find it to be entertaining i just sometimes think that rob zombie's white trash families that he tried to portray to us don't necessarily work i don't really think that's the kind of people that we get but i do like that it's only in the beginning that we get that and then once we get to the teen girls with you know scout and danielle harris which i was glad to see that he cast her in this movie like that group of people i thought they do really well but this one, like I said, comes in at number 15 for me, and last time I rated and reviewed this movie, I gave it a 7 out of 10. Looking back, that's probably still right around where I would be at this time as well. And then for my number 14 film is Friday the 13th, the final chapter from 1984. Now, this is one that I don't really think I watched a whole lot of growing up for whatever reason. 
never mind. This is actually the one that I would watch quite a bit as I really think this one is really solid, if I'm going to be honest. This one kicks off the Tommy Jarvis trilogy where we have Corey Feldman in this movie who plays the young Tommy Jarvis. There are some aspects of this that don't necessarily work for me, though, but I do think this one is a lot of fun. I think for a slasher film, we do have these characters are fleshed out pretty well, which, I mean, I like Tommy's older sister of Trish, who is Kimberly Beck. This is also the one where we have, pardon my language, but we have Jimmy Mortimer, who is Crispin Glover, with his friend who is, you know, calling him a dead fuck and everything like that. I just, like I said, I think that we get a nice group of char characters here. We get the story continuing on where we're not really violating much continuity here. And I do like that we have the bear hunter who shows up, who's actually looking for his sister. I do think remembering back there is a little bit of problematic things with that just because of the timelines not necessarily working out where i don't think he would know because i believe friday the 13th part two all the way through this one are all kind of here within like a week stretch so i do believe there are some continuity issues with that but i'm willing to overlook it I like what they do with Jason here and how Tommy Jarvis tries to get into his head. We get some, like I said, some solid kills. I do know there's a lot of censorship issues because of what the original one got away with. But regardless, this one, the last time I watched it, I was a big fan. And I actually came in with an 8 out of 10 on this movie from that last viewing when I got to rate and review it. And then coming in at number 13 is Friday the 13th Part 3. Now, I really debated on whether to have this one in the previous spot, and I was kind of going back between the two as I kind of have these two rated very similarly. The reason I gave this one the nod is just for the historical fact that this is the one with Shelly, where Jason Voorhees finally gets his iconic mask, and... So I thought I had to give a little bit of significance there as, you know, now he has the hockey masks that he is wearing going forward and being the iconic piece of thing that he wears. But this one also, I'm not the biggest fan of the whole 3D movement, but I do think this one was pretty well done in trying to capture that idea as I have never seen it in the actual 3D, but just watching it this last time, I was really looking for different things and seeing, you know, like the yo-yo scene or... It does utilize it in some of the deaths as well, but I don't think they went over the top cheesiness with it, which is where my issues with 3D comes in. So this one, like I said, it has a little bit of, you know, the nudity. There's a little bit of mean-spiritedness in this one as well. I also, again, think that what works for this one, too, is the characters are pretty distinct where you, as you're watching it, you can tell and see who everybody is. So that's something else that kind of works for me. I mean, this is still kind of a slasher film where you don't necessarily have everything that works out and makes complete sense but i do think that it does well enough and is enjoyable where i had to bring it in at this position here and we're actually getting to a part where it was kind of difficult to figure out and i had to figure had to think of different reasons as to why something should go where as opposed to other things as well just something to kind of point out there but for this movie friday the 13th part 3 i came in with another 8 out of 10 and then for me at number 12 is the remake slash sequel of Halloween from 2018. Now, this is the one that kind of makes the Halloween series a little bit wonky and disjointed because this ignores everything and goes all the way back to the original one and this is a direct sequel to that now i know some people were complaining about the character of jamie lee curtis and kind of how she takes things on here i personally do not mind it i liked what they did with her in h2o where she turned to alcohol as her way to cope with everything but i also like here where 
she's been extremely militant and has focused her whole life on preparing herself in order to make sure that if he ever does break out that she is ready for him and i also like the fact that judy greer plays her daughter and everything that laurie did there screwed her up and now judy as the character of karen is trying to protect her daughter allison who is andy matichak from becoming like her mother and kind of falling into you know some of that madness and doomsday type prepping there i know a lot of people don't like dr sartan who is being quoted by the guys over at exploding head as the turkish loomis i did like will Patton. I thought he was good as the police officer in this one. And I never even realized until just now that Miles Robbins, who played in a movie that I was a big fan of last year and Daniel Isn't Real, also has a character in this movie. Not everything necessarily works for me. I do think that how this movie ends, if they would have just left it there, would have been fine. But I know, obviously, there is going to be the Halloween Kills that was supposed to come out later this year. That was going to continue on the story and everything, and I believe also have another one after that. I don't think everything works. I do think this is kind of a fun slasher that has some really excellent shots in it. And does feel like it's picking up after what happened in the events of Halloween in 1978. But... I had to come in here with another 8 out of 10, and again, this could have been kind of moved around with previous two that I was just going on about. That's all I really wanted to talk about with this, you know, remake slash sequel. And then another movie that I watched in this last October is, oddly enough, Halloween 2 from 1981. So the one that is being ignored by the previous film that I had on here... I had only seen Halloween 2 maybe once and had never revisited it. So again, I watched it in the last October. Now, I do not think the performance by Jamie Lee Curtis is that good in this movie, though. And I do believe a lot of this is that she didn't really want to be in this movie, but they did pressure her to do it. So that's why she's in bed and kind of just lounging around for the most part of it until near the end of it. But what I personally love is the hospital setting that we got here. I thought that was great. And I like that even though it is a little bit barren for being a hospital, but I do know you kind of really only have a night shift where you don't have nearly as many workers. So I can overlook that whole thing there, but I do think we get some really good death scenes here. And then I just love that, you know, Dr. Loomis is back and they're trying to figure everything out because this does take place, you know, that night right after everything that happened. So it's not taking too much longer from everything that has went down in the previous Halloween film. And I just think that this one just culminates where if they would have left it here, I would have been completely fine with everything like that. Because I think these two pair very well. And the only problem that I really have here is introducing the fact that Laurie Strode is the is the sister of Michael Myers, which I will give the Halloween 2018 remake credit as I forgot to throw this out there, is that they did away with all of that. So there is no relation, which I don't think there really should have been. But again, I know John Carpenter Carpenter's heart also was not in this movie as they were forcing him to make it and he decided to come up with the idea that they were related don't necessarily needed that type thing there but it's there it is what it is I still enjoyed this the last time I watched it and I came in with an 8.5 out of 10 and then to kick off my top 10 here I have Friday the 13th a new beginning from 1985 this is one I do have a lot of nostalgia for because this one always seemed to be on the movie channels. I would always watch it. And it was quite confusing to me because the first time I saw it, I didn't really understand what was happening at the reveal at the end of it. But I know this is one that a lot of people don't necessarily like because, you know, spoiler alert, 
it isn't Jason Voorhees. It is actually Roy, the ambulance driver, which the first time I didn't even put together that that's who that was. It took me a little bit to kind of realize everything. Now, I know some people either love this or hate it because it is sleazy. I personally enjoy that, and I will be the first one, you know, to admit to that is there's a ton of you know nudity in it for just nudity's sake which it is what it is it does have a weird idea though as we're at this kind of hathaway house for people that have some mental issues this is the middle part of the tommy jarvis series which i also believe we have the weakest of all the tommy jarvises and i'm actually wondering though if it's necessarily his fault or if it's just kind of how things were written or whatnot we have obviously debbie Voorhees, who is quite attractive I'm gonna be honest but this one also has one of my favorite like character actors in Miguel A. Nunez Jr. who plays Demon and his little cousin I believe Reggie the Reckless but we also have you know those damn enchiladas that get him stuck in the outhouse which I believe is one of the best deaths in this movie so I understand this one isn't for everybody some people love it or hate it I personally really am a fan of it and part of that is nostalgia's sake haven't seen this one in a while so I definitely would come in probably at about an 8.5 as I like what they were trying to do here even though a lot of people hated it I still think it's a fun film though if I'm gonna be perfectly honest and then coming in at number nine for me is Wes Craven's A New Nightmare from 1994 now this is another one that I remember when it came out, my father rented it, me and my sister would watch it quite a bit. And then when we got that box set that I keep talking about, I would go back to this one periodically. Now, I did give this a rewatch last year for Duncan's summer series for the 90s, and it had been quite a while since I had seen it. And I'm not going to lie, this last time watching it, I was a huge fan. And I like what they were doing here with this meta aspect, which makes sense because night, right around the corner is when they went off to do, you know, Scream and everything like that. But I like how they're trying to say that the Nightmare on Elm Street films were real and that they were just movies, though. And we have Heather Langenkamp playing herself. And her husband is a special effects guy, which is also something that was real in her life and then we also have miko hughes playing their son of dylan now what i like here though is that her son is being kind of haunted by the specter of freddy but he is coming into the real world and has a much scarier look i don't think the look of freddy is very good in here i like they try to do something different like i like the glove that they give him and kind of the things that they're playing with there it's just problematic for me and they're also trying to question you know the audience of horror films because heather keeps being blamed for being a bad mother claiming that she's letting her son watch it now my problem here is that i've been watching horror movies since as far back as i can remember watching you know nightmare on elm street being one of them as well as way more graphic ones as you know a child and i think i turned out pretty fine people might argue against that but that's neither here nor there but I like what they're doing here with this. I think it plays pretty well. We have a good supporting cast. I like to see that Robert England is playing himself as well as Freddy Krueger. We also have Wes Craven playing himself. We just get different things like that. And it's just a interesting film. I like what they try to do a little bit something differently here with the series. And again, I came in with an 8.5 out of 10 on this one. And then at number eight, I have another Nightmare on Elm Street film of A Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two, Freddy's Revenge. This came out in 1985, and I'm sure anybody listening to this is pretty familiar with it. This is, you know, considered to be the gay one, partially because of the fact that Mark Patton, who plays our main character of Jesse Walsh, ends up coming out. But there's also a lot of homoerotic sadomasochism, and the actual hero in this movie is Lisa, Jesse's girlfriend, of who's Kim Myers, and that our final, I guess, 
girl is Mark Patton in this movie. But I've actually only probably seen this one twice, and podcasts have really kind of given me some things to think about, and I kind of want to delve into that here just a little bit, as I do agree with Moods from over on 22 Shots of Moods and Horror, is that I agree with him as I don't necessarily think this should have been the second film in the series with what they tried to do, is they tried something a little bit different here where Freddy is trying to come into the real world through the body of Jesse. Now, the problem, though, that becomes is I think this would have been better to kind of have this come in. I've been trying to think about where to put this. Like, it might have worked better to try to come in after the dream child do something different like this in that he, you know, he's tried to go through the dream warriors, failed. He's tried to come through the dream master, failed. He's tried to come through the dream child, failed. Now he should try to take over a body and just come into the real world. Now, hindsight being what it is, we can't necessarily go back and change anything like that. But this one, I do love that they gave a darker Freddy, which is possibly hard to do once you've gone as comedic Freddy as you have. Because this actually is my favorite Freddy from what I remember going through everything like that. But this one, like I said, just does some pretty dark things. And going back to the homoerotic type stuff is I know they're trying to it wasn't necessarily planned to be that way. I know the director kind of did some things, but what they were really trying to do here is show that. Jesse is going through kind of hormonal changes and he doesn't really necessarily know what to do with his body and they're doing the horror route where he's coming through that way. It's been some time though since I've actually revisited this one. Now I do remember that the first time I watched it wasn't the biggest fan and I don't really know what to put my finger on why I didn't like it. The second time that I watched it in college I came around a little bit more and hearing some other theories and everything like that has really made this come up for me. I'm not sure what I would rate this just offhand. I would probably come in at about a 9 if I'm going to be perfectly honest. It could be an 8.5. I just do need to rewatch it to kind of give a true rating where I would come in. But I do think this is one of the better ones in the series, the older now that I've got. And then coming in at number 7 for me is the remake of Friday the 13th from 2009. Now, I remember seeing this film in the theater. And I believe actually my buddy Danny came with me and he's not even the biggest fan of horror movies, but he did like the Friday the 13th growing up. So we went and saw this while we were in college and I'm not going to lie. I've heard other people talking about this, this cold open of the movie where we just have Jason Voorhees just decimating people. I thought was excellent because you don't know what you're expecting and he just goes through and does all that. And you're like, well, how is this movie going to be? And then you finally realize that there's actually going to be a story on top of this. So I was really down for that. I thought Derek Mears was a fine Jason Voorhees because he brings the imposing size. This one almost kind of feels like a remake though of like the first, second and third Friday the 13th movies. But I do think we have a good young cast here. I do like Jared Padalecki from what I remember. Daniel Panabaker is somebody around this era who was in a lot of remakes as well as just horror movies in general. Now, I do this, know this one is a little bit sleazy and we have a ton of nudity so it can be a little bit uncomfortable for people to watch if you're around people that you necessarily can't watch things like that around. This one also does feature Willa Ford and I do believe you get to see her nude which the younger version of me was pretty excited about that. I thought we had some good kills. I like what they do with Jason Voorhees, though, making him be like a survivalist, which is kind of explaining how he can, you know, teleport because he actually has these tunnels and knows this area. It is slightly weird, though, that he is protecting what I believe is like a marijuana farm almost. I do believe that there are some slight issues with this one. It's been a while again since I've seen this as well. I had a lot of fun with it, though. I thought it was a really solid remake and, you know, way better than the Nightmare on Elm Street one. 
I like what they did with it. I'm kind of bummed that everything got tied up with the Jason Voorhees Friday the 13th stuff in the courts because I've been really craving to see another one with this being the last one that we had though being so good so I really like them to do something along you know the lines of this there's been some fan films but you know not necessarily officially part of the canon but again I would probably come in probably like an 8.59 I would just really need to kind of rewatch this just to make sure that I'm not missing anything on my end to be honest and then coming at number six just missing the top five might have been a little bit more of a controversial pick a few years ago but a lot of people now seem to be coming around to this one including myself is halloween 3 season of the witch this is from 1982 this one oddly enough tommy lee wallace took over as the director and the writer of this as he did work on i believe i know for a fact halloween and i believe he also probably worked on the second one as well now what i like about this though the first time I watched it, I hated it. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. But I was also very young, and it was around Halloween time where DirecTV would have these old-school horror movies. And my father let my sister and I rent as many of them that we could. As it kind of just was a, you had to pick and choose which ones you wanted because there was ones on at the same time. I selected this one because my mother had already shown me the original Halloween, and I really liked that one. And at the time, I was confused and hated it because I was expecting, you know, Michael Myers. And we don't get that. Now, I did see this one in college. I came around a little bit more on it, still didn't necessarily care for it, gave it a very low rating, but then I ended up seeing this in the theater last year as the Gateway Film Center showed this, and I had heard podcasts about it, and they gave me some other perspectives away and looking at this, and gave me some background information how, like, John Carpenter really wanted Halloween to be kind of an anthology thing where every year they'd come out with a new one and it'd be a different story. After learning that and then re-watching this, I appreciate this one even more, and I mean, you got one of my favorite horror movie actors actors and tom motherfucking atkins he's such a beast in this movie i love how he's just a doctor who is just neglecting his family just out boozing and then you know starts shacking up with this young girl as they're trying to figure out what happened to her father now everything i said there you probably think is a horrible thing but you know it is what it is and but he's such just a stud man that i you know can't really fault anything that he's doing i love the idea of this mass company using stones from stonehenge to create this magic that'll kill all these kids it's such mean-spirited i love the dark ending that we have where tom atkins is trying to get the commercial shut off just such a great film with what they're doing it is got its own problematic issues here and there but not gonna lie this one i prefer over many of the ones that's clearly why you know it's as high as it is on my list and this is one that i do want to show people who don't necessarily appreciate this one to kind of give them more background information to see if i can get them to come around to it as well last time i viewed this though i gave this a 9 out of 10 and i stand by that still and to kick off my top five i had to start this off here with a nightmare on elm street part three dream warriors from the year of my birth in 1987 this is one i would revisit quite a bit as it always seemed to be on tv it's kind of funny that there is this is the start of comedic freddy I thought Freddy Krueger, you know, being uh, Robert England, does a great job here. I didn't really find this to be funny the first time I would watch it. This one actually terrified me, especially the death with Philip, who is the one who does puppets, marionette type things, as his death where he has the tendons from his arm have been pulled up and Freddy is using him as a puppet terrified the hell out of me not gonna lie about that this one though was just such an interesting thing to take with it i love that we brought heather langenkamp back 
as, you know, her character as Nancy, as I do believe there's a little bit of a problematic issue there with the age and her being able to be in that classroom, but I'm willing to overlook all that. This is one that Wes Craven came back because he wasn't a big fan of what they did with Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, so he wanted to kind of correct things and take it back as he helped to write this one. I love the idea of Dream Warriors, that when you're in this world, if you're strong enough to kind of think of things, you can be your own type of person there and control that. I thought we had some really fun characters here. They're all kind of distinct. I mean, we have Welcome to Primetime, bitch. That whole death in the lounge there. We have a young Lawrence Fishburne as he's being credited as Larry. I love Kincaid. I don't necessarily think that Joey's works all that well here just because of this is all psycho-semantic with him, so I believe when he goes into Dream World, he should be able to talk. It is what it is. I understand why they kind of play that whole thing up. We get John Saxon back as a guy who has fallen just straight into alcoholism after his wife has, his ex-wife has passed away. Still find there to be some little bit problematic issues with that whole thing. And, I mean, actually kind of completely forgot about it. We have Patricia Arquette in this movie. Well before she got really famous, so it was kind of surprising that she was in this one. This one's fun. We have a good combination of, like I said, dark and joking Freddy here. I think this would have been an excellent place to end the series if they would have kind of went that route. It is what it is. It's hard to stop, you know, using your cash cow when it's still producing. So, but last time I watched it, I was a big fan of this. I've seen it a handful of times in the last few years. And my rating I stand by is a 9 out of 10 on this one. And then at number 4 for me is Friday the 13th, the original one. The one that started all of the series, 1980. This one, I really like. And I went back and forth onto which one was my favorite in the series. And, of course, if you're doing the math, you can figure out what one's going to be ranked higher than this one. But what I find interesting about this movie is, again, we have some distinct characters for a slasher film. Something that if you can do that, it's great. I love how they introduce the backstory to this camp and why it's been closed down and why Mr. Christie is trying to open everything back up. Like I said, we have some distinct characters here that work. I like Adrian King as our, you know, final girl. Thought she does great there. But what I really like about this one is that it plays like a Giallo film. You don't know who's doing the killing. And the problem that I run into, though, is I really wish, like a Giallo, they would have introduced that, of course, our killer is Mrs. Voorhees, who is the mother of Jason. I wish they would have given us something. And I heard Dave Z over on the Exploding Heads podcast talk about how they should have been at the diner and had her be there at some point or something along that line or have her at the stop when Annie is there just something that we know that she's actually a person because it does feel like a cheat and I don't necessarily know if she could have been lifting and staging some of the bodies that we get in this one we of course have a young Kevin Bacon here which is kind of funny looking back on now but I like the deaths that we get here I think they're very well done Tom Savini is at the top of his game with some of the stuff that we get you get the final jump scare that I believe was brought, put in you know last minute because of what Carrie did all that stuff just works for me. It's a fun film. This isn't one that I've seen a whole lot of. I know Scream actually ruined the reveal because I didn't watch it until after that. But I do know it started to be on the movie channels for whatever reason when I was, you know, after I'd seen Scream. Such a great movie, though. I've seen it in the theater a couple times and just really enjoy it. And my rating here comes in at a 9 out of 10 on this original film. That will move me to my number third on this list is Friday the 13th Part 2. Now, this actually has my favorite version of Jason, as I love Sackhead Jason. I think that concept is so great that he is walking around with a, you know, 
burlap sack as his mask here as it seems like a interesting you know type of thing i really wish they would have done a little bit more with adrian king's character but i understand that she had a real life stalker so she really didn't want to be in the movie because the original one is what kind of caused all of that but it does allow for my favorite final girl probably of all time in amy Steele playing as jenny I think that's all great. I love the fact that uh, this one does have some continuity issues. I will be honest about that. That's why I can't give this a perfect score is I don't understand how we have an adult Jason here. I do believe that they really didn't come up with the greatest plan and it was really just so they could make money on it. Regardless though, I love what they're doing here. This is my favorite of course since it's at this position on the list. It's my favorite of the Friday the 13th series. I will be honest, Friday the 13th isn't my favorite series it's probably second for me but it has more films that i can pop in and enjoy than the other two i'll be honest about that but this one is like i said my favorite that i would go back to if i really needed to pick out one at any time just because i like what they're doing with it i even love that jenny is a college student that is trying to be a child psychologist and the mind of jason Voorhees is still a child so it makes for an interesting climax that we get here and my rating on this because of the continuity issues with jason being in this as he was supposed to be a boy that has been dead so like they're trying to, i think make it believe that he was been living in those woods the whole time but if he would have came out he could have just you know stopped his mother from doing anything it's legitimately a cash grab that created a great series though so i still enjoy it but i have to come in with a 9.5 out of 10 then at number two, even though this is my favorite film on the list, I had to put it at the second position as A Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984. This one, what can I say, terrified me as a kid. The opening where you're seeing Freddy Krueger as he's making his claws. This one, Fred Krueger is extremely dark. That's what he's actually credited as in the, you know, in the movie. We have John Saxon as, you know, Lieutenant Thompson, his wife who's just fallen into just despair she's a raging alcoholic i personally don't think heather langenkamp's that bad of an actress as nancy i love that we just have this fear is just running through these people and nobody is believing them i mean heck nancy's boyfriend isn't even believing it and nancy doesn't even come around until her friend tina is murdered i like rod lane as he is being accused of doing everything like that we have a cameo by lynn shea because her brother was the producer on it as she plays a teacher there i just think it's terrifying that this killer can come to us in our dreams and we only get little glimpses of freddy and some of the deaths are so iconic in this movie like tina's death as she is you know pulled across the ceiling and just stabbed to death the imagery of the lamb you know being led to slaughter type thing I like the fact that we had a child killer that the parents all decided they're going to go out and get justice on and now this is being why they're attacking her their children because he's getting his revenge and nobody just kind of believing him type thing it is just such a great film for me i know some people have problematic issues with it i don't think they're really that big of issues for me because this film part of it is actually in the dream world and that's kind of where i think the ending gets explained is that in your dreams anything can kind of happen and he is the master there so yes you can defeat him in one but not necessarily in another one because as long as you fear him he can still come back i get it this is something though is a little bit of nostalgia and everything like that but i still believe this is to be a 10 out of 10 film in my opinion and so if you're keeping track my number one film on this list is the original halloween from 1978 even though it's not my favorite one i can recognize that it is the best in my opinion john carpenter though trying to create just kind of a lower budget film and just struck gold with what he did here I like how we have this child that really has no backstory and just decides to murder his, you know, sister and everything like that. And then, you know, years later is when 
he decides to break out and go back to his hometown where we have, you know, Donald Pleasance as Samuel Loomis just trying to come back and nobody is going to believe him for what is happening there. I think we have a good group of characters with, even though she's not my favorite, I think Jamie Lee Curtis in one of her first roles as Lori was really good. I'm a big fan of the PJ Souls character as I just found her to be adorable wearing her hat and everything like she does. And then we have... Oh, sorry, she's actually wearing the hat in this film, but that's where she ended up getting cast in Carrie where she wears that hat. But she's just a fun character in this movie. I'm also a fan of, at the time was Nancy Loomis was her name, but Nancy Keys, who is Annie. It's kind of funny that the meme of the lady yelling at the cat, like the lady who's holding her back is Kyle Richards, who she's the little girl of Lindsay in this one, but she was, you know, all grown up as now as a housewife of Beverly Hills. I just think this has such a great story and concept of where he's just coming back and is stalking these people. It doesn't scare me anymore. And the first time I saw it, I probably had seen some things were a little bit darker in this movie, but this one really is like the legit first slasher, even though you could argue that's probably Black Christmas. But regardless, if without this movie, we don't have Friday the 13th because that is technically a clone of this movie. I just love what we do here. We get some interesting deaths. Not all of them are actually works. There are some slight flaws, but I mean, I'm willing to overlook them because that's what they are. They're just slight. I love what they do in this movie, so I have to have this be the top one. As I said, doesn't necessarily mean it's my favorite, but I think what they do is just so great of it and... You know, I'm not a Halloween fanboy, so I'm willing to, you know, look at this uh, subjectively and kind of give this as, I mean, it's still my opinion. I will come in with that. But regardless, I think this is a 10 out of 10. So that is my list, 1 through 31. I'd be curious to see what you would have to say about these. So if you want to shoot me that through an email or anything like that, or just send me a message on any of the things that I will list after this last musical break, as I would be interested to see what you would come up with that on, you know, your own version of that. So I'm going to turn you over to one last musical break before I close out the show.
I want to thank you all for listening to Journey with a Cinephile, a horror movie podcast. Just to close this out, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can send me an email at journeywithacinephile at gmail.com. If you want to read any of my written reviews of anything on this episode or any of my past episodes, that is Reviews of the Dead, and that's at horrorreview.webnode.com. If you want to get in touch with me on Facebook, you can at David Michigan Garrett Jr. Twitter, Buckeye from Mish, Letterbox, David OSU. On Instagram, I'm David OSU87, and I will have the links to all of that down below in the show notes. And if you want to get in touch with me on the Flick Chat app, that is something you can download on Android or iOS. And it's an app where you can get in touch with me and chat. I do have some boards that have a little bit of life going, so I'm going to continue to try to push that forward. But my join code to talk to me there is Journey with a Cinephile. And also, whatever you're listening to me on, if you could please subscribe, just so that way anytime I drop a new episode, you don't have to miss that. And if you could also rate or review on there, that would be greatly appreciated, just so I can kind of get an idea of what I'm doing that you like, or anything that I'm doing that you're not, or anything you'd like to see. Anything like that would be, once again, greatly appreciated. I think next episode, I'm going to get back into doing the journey through the aughts. I'm not sure of what the 2020 release is going to be as of yet, but I believe I'm going to go ahead and watch the Bob Hope film, The Ghost Breakers, as my next 1940s film. But that is all I really wanted to go ahead and do. I know at the time of recording this, we have a lot of protests going on and stuff like that. So wherever you're at, please be safe. And whatever you decide to do today, I hope you have a great time doing it. And this is David Garrett Jr. signing off.